One of those passages tonight that is so relatable to most of us. How many of you have ever wrestled with God? Anything God's asked you to do, anything that God has spoken into your life, and you've just kind of said like, "Mm, I'm not quite sure. How many of you have even wrestled with God over good things? You see, sometimes we put a negative spin on it. How about the good things that the Lord is doing in your life? Yeah, I've done that too. Both sides. Tonight we find this incredibly flawed man who is going to be the patriarch of the children of Israel and this incredible event where he's doing the right thing largely and he's going to take and wrestle with God. I think back on my own ministry experience and I would say that probably the first decade or so, I wrestled a lot with God. And sometimes it was me wrestling against him. And I'll just tell you, I never won. And sometimes it was me wrestling with him, trying to figure out what he wanted. And he eventually was able to tell me. And sometimes it was God trying to bless. And I actually couldn't quite get a grasp on the grace of God. And so I said, Lord, I'm unworthy. And I'm guessing that there's probably people in all three categories in the room tonight. And so if that's you, we're going to have some fun tonight. And I mean fun in the most wonderful way because the Lord has a message for us. And he wants to speak into our lives. And he is in fact, as we just sang, good. And he delights to do good things for his kids. And if we'll let him, He's a blessing God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a blessing God. Lord, that prayer that sometimes we let rattle around in our head, this unknown man named Jabez who utters a two-sentence prayer. But Jabez said, bless me indeed. And Lord, we've come tonight to be blessed. We've come for you to put your hands on us. Lord, we pray that you don't have to break our hip to do it. Lord, we ask that you be kind and gentle and merciful upon us. Your children were a little thick-headed. Would you love on us tonight, Lord, through your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 32, and we'll pick up in verse 22. Wrap this chapter up. The focus here is, of course, Jacob. And probably one of those things that most of you may need to do, there's a lot of he's and his's in this passage. And it's beneficial sometimes to just simply mark them or highlight them in a different color. But I'll try and do that as we go through this passage. Verse 22, when he arose, that would be Jacob, that night and took his two wives, that would be Jacob's two wives, And his two female servants, so we can see Rachel, Leah, Zillah, and Billah. And his 11 sons. Now we'll tell you, we don't know how many daughters, because the sons were generally the only ones named uh, in a genealogy. Probably daughters as well. 
and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And so if you look at a map of modern-day Israel, its relationship to the Jordan River and the country of Jordan, which is on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, you'll find that there are a number of tributaries, and one of them, the main tributary that flows out of Jordan, actually begins up in Syria, but is the, is the Jabbok River. It's one of the larger tributaries of the Jordan in, in the southern Jordan region. And so he's about to enter into the promised land. He's heading back towards Bethel. He's moving towards the place that Abraham built his altar at Shechem. He's going the right direction. And he's doing the right thing. Now, we've seen him kind of mess up periodically from time to time. And he took them. That would be his 11 sons and his two wives, two female servants, which are actually also his wives. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. So this is a caravan. And Jacob is now taking his possessions. He has left Laban. He's heading towards a meeting with Esau. And for the first time, I think he actually stops to consider what it is that God wants to do. I think he's actually finally getting the picture that we all need to get. And there are so many lessons in these few verses for us that we can learn. And then Jacob was left alone. Anybody else had that experience to where it's just you and God? And somehow that seems to be when he can really get our attention. I will tell you one of the reasons I think it is crucial and essential that at times we stop and take a little break and find that quiet place and wherever that is for you, you know, for some people it's it's out fishing or, you know, some recreational activity, something to where you can just get away, to where it's just you and God. Because our world is busy and because our world is busy, we're prone to listen to the busyness. And so Jacob is now left alone. He's got no one with him. He sent his family on ahead and he is literally by himself. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, and so this is going back and forth between this man who we will find because Hosea says so is an angel and very specifically the angel of the Lord. He touched him. In the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled him. Anybody ever forced God into dealing with us in a way that we finally come to the end of ourselves? It's one of the masterful lessons of the Bible. We're going to see it in the Apostle Paul's life. God wants to bless us, but God blesses us on his terms. God does not bless you on your terms. He blesses you on his terms. And until we can come to the end of ourselves, very often it's extremely difficult at best to truly hear what God wants to say to us. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. They've been wrestling all night. 
There are those that have equated this to wrestling in prayer and spiritualized it. I, I think it was literal wrestling myself personally. And of course, Jacob is also at the same time, no doubt crying out to God. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the angel says, why don't you let me go? And Jacob says, no, not until you bless me. And some interesting questions. And so he said to him, that would be the angel saying to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And we're going to dig into this in a little bit. Until you come to terms with who you are before the Lord and admit to it. Until you can honestly tell God, this is who I am. You will never grow past those weaknesses you have in your life. You'll be stuck because of the lack of self-identification of the real you. Because the angel doesn't need the information. Jacob needs the information. And Jacob needs to confess the information. He needs to come to terms with himself. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Notice the result of getting honest with God. Notice the result of getting honest with God. God blesses obedience, family. He loves it when we are honest with ourselves and honest with him. And here's, from his side, the insanity of all of that. We're never fooling God anyway. Amen? So, so when we don't admit who we are before the Lord, and we go around pretending like we're not what we actually are, God already knows that. And so he is not waiting for the information, like, man, I just really didn't realize Jeff was this messed up. No, he's waiting for me to admit that I am this messed up. He's waiting for me to say, Lord, help me. Lord, change me. And that is exactly what this angel does. He should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Sarai El. Governed with, struggling with, governed by God. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now look at the, the history of Jacob's life in a sentence. Dude, you've been struggling with men your whole life. And you've been struggling against me as well. I've been trying to speak into your life, but you're not listening. You've been pretending to be something that you're not. And I know exactly what you are. You see, there's a tremendous amount of information that's in these simple words. Oh, you've prevailed against men. You've even prevailed against me. Can I tell you that while God is absolutely sovereign, he does let us do some of the things that we set out to do. And very often he does that so that we will come exactly to where Jacob is, and that's to the end of us. And so you can almost imagine in a modern vernacular, it's like this angel, the angel of the Lord is saying, so Jacob, how's your struggle working out? 
How's your struggle against Laban? And how's your struggle against your brother Esau? How's your struggle with the world? How's your struggle with materialism? How's your struggle with your deception? How's your struggle with your struggling? How's your struggle with your deceiving? How is all of that doing in your life? You see, Jacob is forced to come to terms with who he is. And God will do this for every person in this room. If you're watching online, God will put you in a situation where you are alone with God and God will let you know who's in charge. And he's going to force you to admit who you are. Now, he would like to do that in the easiest possible manner. He would like to allow the word to speak into your life and we just hear it, do it, and change. Amen? So he says we're supposed to be kind or gentle or meek, long-suffering, forgiving, bearing with one another. Those are all the Lord speaking into our life saying, Jeff, this is how I want you to be. But we can struggle against God. We can say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be too nice because people will take advantage of me. It's true, they will. But if they take advantage of you, they're actually spitting in the eye of God. If you are doing God's will, you're doing God's work, and you're doing it his way, they will have a problem with the Almighty, not with you. And so what ultimately happens is God is trying to have us become dependent upon him. God wants us resting and trusting in who he is, not so much in who we are. But we are such a self-sufficient people. And that goes all the way back to Jacob's time, but it is especially true today. Oh, we can prevail. But up to this point, it's done nothing for Jacob. Every mess he's in is because he knew what to do and didn't do it. Everything that happened came from that deception that he thought was a part of his personality. Can I just tell tell you that all of us actually have personality disorders? We're actually bipolar, every last one of us. Flesh and spirit. And they war against each other. And I'm not mocking a medical diagnosis of being bipolar, but in a spiritual sense, we are bipolar. We have the spirit which is aligned with God's plans, God's ways, and we have our flesh that's going, I'll do it my way. And sometimes we feed the flesh, don't we? It's like the old 1950s and 60s cartoons with the little angel on one shoulder and little devil on the other shoulder. No, do it. No, don't do it. Do it. Yes, do it. No, not that. No, I'm not going to do it. That's actually what's going on. In the spiritual realm, the enemy's trying to convince you to struggle against God. And God is saying, why don't you struggle with me and let's do this together? But you've got to come to the end of you. You've got to say, Lord, I surrender, I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then Jacob asks, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me about my name? Again, God doesn't need the information. God knows why. The angel knows why. The Lord knows why. He's doing this all for Jacob. 
what are you really trying to figure out, Jacob? What's the reasoning behind your question? Then as you think on these things, I want you to ask yourself some simple questions. How much of you do you see in this passage? How many times do you kind of question God? How many times do you actually, by asking God a question, say to him, I don't like what you've said, so I'm going to ask you to change your mind? And if we're honest, I think most of us have done that at least a time or two in our lives. And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved and we'll dig into this in a moment. Just as he crossed over into Penuel, and just so you're aware, those two names are synonymous. They're one and the same. There's literally no differentiation in Hebrew language. And, and they both mean, I've seen God. One, I believe, is an exact location. The other is the general space. So he said, this is where I saw God. Do you have places in your life where you can say, this is my penuel, this is where I saw God. This is where I wrestled with him. This is where he stepped into my life and changed the way I see things. Changed who you are. And my life is preserved. And as he crossed over to Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. A little reminder. God always wins. It's just a little reminder. God could have done something far more severe. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to have all that this world has to offer. And so Jacob's learning a valuable lesson here. And therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that, is, that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. Jacob is now alone. Jacob's in that difficult night. He, he's got these two camps. He's got his camp. He's got Esau's camp. He's got Laban following behind. He's in that weary, alone space that almost all of us get to from time to time. Maybe your weary, alone space has something to do with your job or maybe your own personal finances or maybe your marriage or your children. Maybe it's some form of addictive behavior. Maybe your weary place where you have been trying to deal with it yourself and your own strength and you've been running God delights to get us alone to where we come face to face with the things that we have allowed in our lives that he wants to change. And it's in that weariness that we hear the voice of God. Because he he can come into your life at that point in time and you are so far down the road with your own thinking and you realize it's not working that you're willing to stop long enough to let God do it. It's a place where you can say, Penuel, I saw God do this. 
Now the circumstances here are on Jacob. The limp is on Jacob, but the blessing is on God. First thing that we see in this passage is Jacob actually met the Lord. I, I love when I think about solitude and kind of being God's audience chamber. So many years of my life I've spent in the high Sierras just backpacking and hiking and you just find a rock someplace and you just sit down. And there's nothing but you and the trees and the marmots and the pikas and a couple of trout and the sky and the wind and the voice of God. Like there's nothing else, nothing to concern ourselves with. You know, when you're driving home after the service tonight, you better be concerned with the rest of the people on the road, amen? You need to be concerned with all the stoplights. You need to be concerned with the traffic laws. You need to be concerned with, you know, are you going the right direction? You need to be concerned about a lot of things. Is there fuel in your car? There are so many concerns that we have in our busy lives. And very often we don't hear the voice of the Lord because of that busyness. We're just banging away, trying to make it from one day to the next. When we're alone, we can't escape to other people's hearts. We, we can't escape to other people's minds. We can't escape to other people's skills and talents, their resources, their finances. Jacob was forced to sit alone with God and wrestle. And it's a good kind of wrestling. If you want to see the companion passage, Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 6, if you want to turn there, I'll read it for you. Because the great prophet Hosea brings a charge against Judah. You know the basic story of Hosea. He's been asked by the Lord, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. And I'm going to teach you about how wicked the heart of man is. And I'm going to show you yourself, Hosea. So by the time we get to chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord brings charge against Judah. I will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. For he took his brother by the heel in the womb. And in his strength, he struggled with God. And yes, he struggled with the angel, underline it. So Hosea tells us who the angel was in our passage. The angel is none other than the angel of the Lord, none other than a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus himself. He wrestled with Jesus. And prevailed. And he wept and sought favor from him. And he found him in Bethel. And there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. So if you didn't get it the first time, now we're told not only was that angel the angel, but that the angel was the Lord of hosts. The Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So you... By the help of your God, return, observe mercy, justice, and wait on God continually. That's the commentary 
of the prophet Hosea in the life of Jacob. You see, he was alone. Hosea's alone. He's getting a message from God. Whenever and wherever the Lord meets us, in order to lift us up where he wants us to be, sometimes he's got to remove all the distractions, doesn't he? I don't know how many of you are squirrel people, but I'm like, squirrel? I just am. I'm that kind of guy. I am the person, I got to close my blinds to study. I got to turn the lights down low. Sometimes I'll be listening to worship music and I'll find myself, I'm not actually doing my studying. I'm actually just listening. So I'm like, yes, Lord, which is good. But if I'm supposed to be studying, even that time is ill-placed at that moment. And so God has to isolate me to be able to speak into my life very often in that crucible of aloneness. You see, Abraham was a pilgrim. He was a traveler. And God found him there. Joshua was a general and a soldier and God found him there. Jacob, for most of his adult life, was a wrestler. A deceiver. God found him there. Psalm 18, verse 26, reminds us that to the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you'll show yourself shrewd. God knows how to get our attention. Says, you want to play games? (laughs) I think I'm a little smarter than you. (laughs) Let me help you figure this out. Anybody ever been put on blast by God? Oh, I have. It's like, Jeffrey, you're not listening. Just like Connie, God uses Jeffrey when I've been bad. But there's much more to God's blessing than just flocks and herds and cattle and sheep and children and buildings. What was Jacob's real problem? He's already shrewd. He's already a great businessman. He's already wealthy. He's got tons of flocks. He's done really well in that department. But what's lacking? His character. He's got lousy character. And God is saying, look, I want to change you. I'm going to make you into Israel. Governed by God. Because right now, Jacob, when you ask me about my name, when I ask you about your name, you weren't being truthful. You weren't being honest. You weren't telling me the way it is. Jacob, you need to meet yourself. You need to come face to face with you, Jacob. And I'm going to tell you, this is where this passage hits home for most of us. Now, some of us know exactly who we are, and we ignore it. Some of us kind of have a misplaced understanding of who we are, and we kind of inflate it. Others of us would like to be something that we are not, so we try and pretend that we already are. The fact of the matter is, I think one of the places where most Christians struggle is being honest with yourself. Because very often, the first thing we do is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. The woman you gave me, Lord. Well, the serpent 
the tree, duh. It's not my fault. I'm awesome. It's just other stuff in my life. If you just get rid of the stuff, if you take these people and deal with them, Lord, I'm perfect. You see, both Adam and Eve had the same problem Jacob had. They could not do a self-assessment of where they were with God. And you need to be honest with God. You need to name it. Because the Lord wasn't asking Jacob to get information. He knew Jacob's name. He knew Jacob's reputation. He knew that Jacob was a schemer and a deceiver. And he was waiting for Jacob to say, I'm Jacob. I'm a schemer. I'm a deceiver. Because God can use your honesty. But he will never bless your dishonesty and your deception. You see, you've got to own your stuff. You can almost see the question going, what's your name, Jacob? Are you going to continue living up to that name? Is that what you want out of life? You want to keep deceiving yourself and other people? Or are you willing to admit who you are and let me change you? You see it? This is a place we have to come to. And maybe for you, this is not your passage. Maybe you're doing good with the Lord. Maybe you can do a self-assessment of where you are spiritually and be honest with the Lord and God's doing some great things. But I guarantee you there are people in your life who need this message. I guarantee it. I'd say it's one of the most common things that I deal with on a fairly regular basis when I'm counseling with people. They refuse to be honest about their own deficiencies. It's always someone else's fault. It's the country's fault. It's the governor's fault. It's the congress's fault. It's the wife's fault, the husband's fault, the kid's fault, my education's fault. It's everyone's fault but you. And while it may well have been borne out that there are other external influences that have borne on you, if God's word is true, then there is no temptation but that which is common to man and in it there's a way of escape. It's a plain teaching of scripture. And so when we think about who we are, we need to be honest. And maybe you came tonight and if God were to ask you your name, actually you should answer, well God, I'm a quitter. Or maybe, God, I'm unloving. Or maybe, God, I'm bitter. Or, God, I'm a thief. God, I'm a liar. God, I've been unfaithful to my spouse. God, I'm a drug addict. God, I'm struggling with lust. God, I'm a drunkard. God, I'm covetous. My name is covetousness. That one creeps into a vast majority of our society. God, I'm materialistic. It's cousin. I really think mostly about stuff, God, not you. Or maybe deeper things. God, I'm 
I'm struggling with my sexuality. Or one that we hate to admit as parents, God, I'm, I'm a lousy parent. I haven't been a great dad. I really struggled being a good mom. God, I'm lazy. God, I'm unforgiving. And please understand me. Probably most of these things, we've all been at times. The question is, do you look at the change that's already happened in your life and say, those changes are so sufficient, I'm okay leaving this other thing intact? I'm okay with being a quitter because at least I'm not materialistic and lustful. I'm okay being a liar because I'm generous. You understand what I'm saying? You get it? You see, God wants us to name those things to him. He wants us to be open and honest with him in our relationship with him. He wants us to say, God, I don't have any faith. God, I struggle with faith. God, I'm religious, but I'm not holy. You see, I think in every one of our lives, there's areas that we could look God in the eye and say, you know what, God? I know you already know this, but I am confessing to you, I need help. And if you've got to put my hip out of socket to do it, I want you to do that right now. What is it that God wants you to rename and remove? What is it that God wants to do to give you a new name? To go from Abram to Abraham. To go from Simon. Most people don't know. Simon's name means flat-nosed. Do you know how you get a flat nose? Not paying attention and running into things that aren't moving. Like walls and the Lord. Did God know that Simon was Simon? Oh, he sure did. And Simon proved he was Simon to God. That's the reason that Simon... The Simon side denied the Lord Jesus. He was hard-nosed. He bumped into a lot of stuff. He, he had foot and mouth disease. But God changed him to Petros, a little rock, a little chunk of the rock Jesus, if you will. You see, but Peter had to admit it. He had to say, you know what, I'm a failure I did deny you. And I'm sorry. I want to change my ways. I want you to give me a new name. And it took something in Jacob's life that I think when it comes to some of these remnant things in each of our lives, God may need to leave you wounded. God may need to do something in your life that reminds you. Can I give you a case in point? His name is the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is the passage. It's familiar to many of you. 
Paul says there in verse 1, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. I know such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. But he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words. It's not even lawful for a man to utter these things. And of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. The Apostle Paul goes on in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Church history says that Paul struggled with eyesight. He signs his letters with this large hand that that he couldn't see, he couldn't write, he needed a scribe. He was not self-sufficient. And God left that thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And in verse 9, The Apostle Paul admitting this very condition we see in Jacob's life. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I have a few of those areas in my own life. I am an intensely emotional person. And I can tell you that doesn't always bode well for me. I have had, since I was very little, a very deep-seated emotional response to most things. You don't want to go to movies with me? I'm the guy crying, okay? When I hear people's stories, sometimes I, I, I can't even handle it. And sometimes it's actually a weakness to me. And sometimes God uses it as a strength. It makes me compassionate and tender. But sometimes, because I hate feeling like that, I hate my stomach turning over. It's just like, Lord, no, I can't. Show me no more. I'm like Habakkuk. I, I don't want to see it, God. So there have been times in my life when I would avoid those types of things because I knew what was going to happen. I knew how it would affect me. And I had to confess to God, God, I'm emotional. Sometimes I don't think right, I just respond with emotion. And I had to ask him to give me extra patience in my own life. For my own weaknesses. For God's work in my life. And I share this with you in hopes that it may help some of you to be honest with the things in your own life which you would rather are not there, but they are there. God knows they're there. You know they're there, but you refuse to let God touch that area of your life. We say things like it's become part of my identity. And for some of you, it's anger. Some of it's the hurt that you carry around from maybe a divorce. For some of you, it's your living situation which you've hung on other people's trees. You said, you know, I'm like this because they did this to me. 
You need to be honest with God. And you need to say, Lord, I'm tired of being governed by these things. I'm not asking you to take it from me. If this is a weakness and you've given it to me because that weakness will produce a strength, then in your holy name, leave it. But you've got to be honest with God. Just say, God, I'm willing to let you have the thing that I have held on to all of these years. The truth of the matter is, is that God is very faithful to give us new names. And in my own life, the Lord has kind of softened that response, that emotional response. And I've, I've found that now it's a little more balanced. But I had to admit it. I just, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that's like, man, he's like a wuss or something. What's going on with him? It's like cries at the drop of a hat. I actually had a pastor say that to me one time at a conference. Man, you just need to get tougher. And trust me, I wanted to get tougher. Like punch him right in the face. It's like, that's not really what I need right now, okay? So I'm not sure you heard from the Lord on that. I was confessing to you I got a problem. I was kind of hoping for prayer, not condemnation. The enemy's been doing that just fine. But you know, when I was able to be honest, something happened. It was okay that everybody knew. It was okay that my life was an open book. It was okay that I knew that other people saw what God sees. And from that day to this, the Lord's been able to use it. But I had to let him rename that. And it went from being emotionally responding to someone who's compassionate and tender and cares. You see, it was out of control. God didn't take it. He just changed it. And he made it good. And in tracing those things back through my own life, when I think about it, I know where it came from. I've been carrying that around since I was... 10 years old. Never got over what happened to my parents. And so I allowed the enemy to work in that area that I wouldn't admit. And until I cried out to him and said, God, this is who I really am. I'm broken. This is Jeff the broken. You think he can use somebody who's broken? And God said, sure I can. Sure I can. So don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. Because truly with God, every day is a new day, amen? Jacob's walking around with a new name. He's got a new walk. Yeah, he's got a limp. But he's doing good. Yes, he needs a cane. But he's no longer a deceiver. He's no longer a liar. He's no longer a schemer. And that put him into a new relationship with God. You see, because when we hang on to those things, 
those things affect our relationship with the Lord. And we've got to give those things to the Lord and say, God, I'm tired of being this way. I'm tired of being a heel catcher in Jacob's case. Now the good news is he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. You can see that in Zechariah chapter 2. Jacob's testimony. And of course John himself as he writes his gospel and also his letter. No one has seen God at any time. But we had seen God incarnate in human flesh in Jesus. Amen. So we know who it was that he wrestled with. It's called the man. Jesus was exactly that. He was the God-man, amen? Corporeal form. He, he had a body. There, there's Jacob wrestling with the Lord himself. From this moment on, Jacob got it. And he now becomes a man on a mission. And he's not going to carry it out perfectly and there's such great hope in that for us because Jacob still has a couple of missteps that he's going to take but they are far less frequent. And he doesn't stumble in the same way. You see, he now goes out and he knows his own weakness and he names it. And in essence, what was happening was Jacob was finally clinging to Jesus. Exactly what this wrestling match was all about. Jacob's clinging to Jesus. He said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You know, that's the exact context in Matthew chapter 7. If you will ask and you will seek and you will knock, you will find him. You've got to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. You too cannot let go of the Lord Jesus. You've got to hang on for dear life. Because this world is going to try and steal the Jesus right out of your hands. Jacob actually felt that if he ever let God go, that those promises wouldn't be real. I wish the whole church felt that way. I will not let go of Jesus. Now fortunately, the promises don't hang on you. They don't hang on me. They hang on Jesus, but the closer you are to him, the more quickly you experience his response. See, a lot of people try and live their life by getting as far away as they can from Jesus. It's like, he's over there, I'm going to go over there. Because I want to keep what I already know about myself, and I don't want him to see it. It's kind of the most crazy thing when you actually stop to think about it. We're like doing, let's make a deal with God. Right? You know what I'm saying? You're like, well, Lord, I'll change next week. But this guy's really just awful today. Can I just punch him in the face? God, I want to hang on to my bitterness, you know, because it's really my personality. I mean, if I'm not bitter, people won't even know how to respond to me. You know what I'm saying? You've met those people, haven't you? So engrossed in their own bitterness that they can't get past it. They just hang on to it indefinitely. And it's an area of unusefulness to the king and to the kingdom because we won't relinquish it and call it what it is. If you want to be sent out on a mission, you've got to cling to Jesus. 
And so the question really becomes, are you? Are you you taking the words of Jesus and saying, men ought always to pray and not faint? Do Do you believe what Luke 18 declares about us, that shall not God avenge his own elect? Cry day and night unto him, because he hears the prayers of his kids. When we say, yes, Lord, change me, he will do it. And so Jacob goes from being a deceiver to a prevailer. He, he now is a victor. He now is a winner. He's not stuck in those old paths anymore. He went from being a supplanter to one who's governed by God. He becomes Sarai El. That, that one who struggled with God and actually won because of it. You see, that's that good side of struggling. It's like the Lord knows where you need to struggle in and he knows what he wants to do with your struggles. And he wants to use them to mold us and shape us and change us. And so as Jacob meets and limps along, as Jacob is touched by God, he names this place Peniel. The face of God or God's face. It's interestingly enough near Bethel, amen? Can I tell you the best way to see God's face is to go to God's house? If you want to be near the Lord, it's a good place to start is God's house. But what happens in a lot of people's lives is they realize they're going to be found out. They don't believe anybody else sees it, and so they run away from God expecting that they will see God's face. And not only do they not see God's face, God is actually so far removed from the situation that they're actually in it alone because they've chosen that path. God's saying, I'm here. I want to bless you, but I'm asking you to be honest with me. Jacob marveled that he'd been allowed to actually see the Lord and survive to tell the tale. That's how good Jesus is, by the way. He came to us. Amen? He is Emmanuel. He is God among us. God with his people. He does step out of time or out of eternity and into time to to meet with us. God veiled himself in human form so that he could do that. He put off his glory and just became a a wrestler for an evening. An angelic wrestler for an evening. Because had Jesus shown up as God, how long do you think that wrestling match would have went on? Been over pretty quick, like pinned, 2.7 nanoseconds. The time that it took Jacob to realize and figure out that he'd been pinned. No, but God shows up right exactly as Jacob needed God to show up. That's what Jacob needed. And Jacob got what he needed. And after he finished, what can the world do do with him? He just wrestled with God. And God blessed him. So when you learn to wrestle the right way with God and say, God, change me. I don't quite get this. I don't quite understand it. But here's who I am. I know who you are. You change me. He will.
You might have a little bit of a limp. But you can kind of take consolation that almost all the disciples had some kind of limp. Some kind of physical infirmity. Some kind of thing in their life that you look at and go, man, if I was picking apostles, they'd all be perfect. That's what we would do. They wouldn't have had any problems. They wouldn't have had any struggles. They'd just be these you know, stoic guys. It's like they speak and the oracles of God come out of their mouth. But I think the Lord intentionally left the, the apostles in need as well. Because without him we can do nothing. By him and through him we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, wherein you were called and have a confession, a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see from this point on, Jacob could say, I'm listening to God. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. We'll have some of the pastors come up and be available for prayer. Maybe you got some things you need to name. You want to just pray with somebody over those things? Father, thank you that you are so gracious and so kind. Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said, the bruised reed, you shall not further break. Lord, you know our infirmities, you know our iniquities, you know our frame. You know our weak spots. You know our blind spots. You know who we really are. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be more transparent with you and with others. Lord, just allowing you to do those changes in our lives that are for our good. And so God, we give you a fresh look into our lives and we say, Lord, bless us. We're not letting go of you. Bless us. We're going to keep hanging on. Bless us. We're grateful that you will bless us, Lord, because you're a blessing God. But you're going to do that on your conditions. And so, Lord, maybe we're going to have a hip that's going to be out of socket. Maybe there'll be a limp or a, a little bit of an issue in our life someplace, a thorn, as Paul had, to keep us from being lifted up with pride. God, we're grateful that you would even use us in the first place. And so we give our lives afresh and anew to you. Would you work in us to will and to do that which is your good pleasure? Change us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.